Laws right here on the front row. Um, Starting Points is a class that we offer if you're interested in joining um, this fellowship. And um, it does not obligate you if you show up today. So let me go ahead and tell you that. But we want you to come. We don't want you just to, we're not trying just to add the numbers here. We want you to know what you're joining and um, just the mutual responsibility there. And so we would love to see you there today. Um, Also, if you are visiting online, um, we have a new thing that we're doing. We would love to have you text the word CONNECT to 903-458-9199. Again, it's 903-458-9199. Text the word CONNECT, and we would love to send you um, some information and also just get in touch with you and know your name. And so um, that's it for today, announcement-wise. But we're glad that we're here to worship. Just a reminder that um, what a privilege it is that as believers we get to gather and that as believers, we begin our week with rest. Um, Ben's going to come here uh, shortly and feed us with the word. Um, and so I want to ask you just to um, pray with me as we pray on our um, October focus of missions. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you that you have invited us as believers to participate in the ministry of reconciliation. We thank you that you have laid a field before us and a ministry before us. And um, Father, we want you to use us to be salty, to be bright, to be aromatic, to go into these locations and to be natural change agents. Father, we pray for all of our members that we will live on mission where we are. Um, Father, we pray for favor with people who have not yet trusted you, um, that they would... um, listen to our words and listen to your word, Lord. We pray for us that we would love our neighbors, that we would be patient um, with people who are coming from a, a, a different worldview. We pray for missionaries, the missionaries who are on the field today, missionaries who are in jail today, and we pray for our students, our adults, and even our children who are here today who will hear your word and be changed by it and they will call them, God, to go to the nations. We confidently await you, Lord, um, your calling, your empowering because of your word. Father, we pray for victory um, in this spiritual war that we're a part of, Lord. Um, We know that you go before us, that your spirit is the one who actually draws worshipers to you. And we pray, God, uh, that we would trust in him and that we would um, talk with you, Lord, about the people that we can't. Um, talk to about you yet, Lord. Father, we pray for patience and perseverance. We pray for joy in the midst of suffering, especially those um, missionaries who are out today who are really struggling. We pray that you would encourage them and renew them through your word today and through other believers. We pray that you will call other believers in those countries um, and even here to join um, in the task of sharing the gospel. We pray for our pastor today as he comes. We pray that you'll empower Ben um, in this office that you've placed him in, Lord, to preach boldly. We pray that our hearts would be open and that we would hear from you, Lord. We love you, Lord, and we're here to, um, to receive and to worship. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
just and I feel like hey there here I am I feel like that's changed in our community as well I think I, I hear often about other churches that are praying for us or praying for other churches in the community and man that's the way the people of God ought to be cheering for one another uh, we are not um, wrestling against other churches we're wrestling against principalities and dark forces and things that don't want to see the kingdom advance so praying for other churches and cheering that god would be great among them and equipping the saints there and that the kingdom would be advanced in and through those churches should be part and parcel to all of us so that's something we're going to do first this morning praying for chet haney and highland terrace baptist church uh, we're also going to be um, praying for the kermi people of india 19 million strong uh, practicing Hinduism, 99.9% uh, .9 of them are Hindu, 0.01% are Christian. Um, their name, actually, Kermi, comes from karma. That's where the, that, that word comes from. So this is very much a people that are relying on karma for their souls, the outcome of their souls. And this is a great way for us to lift them up this morning, going to the God that knows them, the God who made them, that he would draw them to himself. Uh, we also want to this morning recognize and pray for Grace Drake. Grace is coming on board as our office administrator. She's back there sitting by her bow, Michael. Grace is working Tuesday through Thursdays. Uh, if you need to reach someone in the office, she'll, she'll be, uh, she's very responsive on the phone, very friendly and winsome and engaging, and you'll probably enjoy talking to her even if you're just taking care of something routine. I do encourage you to get to know Grace. She, I think, is going to be a blessing uh, serving with us as a staff member at Crosspoint, a blessing to us, and um, we want to welcome her as well. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, praying for these, these particulars. Lord, this morning, first of all, I just want to say thank you for uh, uh, connecting the dots of a need that we had as a people uh, for an office administrator and uh, connecting that, too, to an opportunity for grace that, sh that she's excited about, that is a, a really a wonderful fit for her and uh, thankful for the things that uh, she's been able to to do for us even in the last couple of months in a turnover period uh, just uh, want to uh, sort of christen this moment uh, and just ask you to bless her in this work uh, and to bless this people in her uh, serving us in this way uh, just thankful for this this opportunity to serve with grace uh, also uh, lord we want to pray for another church in our community and pray for highland terrace baptist church for Chet Haney, uh, just a, a great guy and um, a man that's just giving himself to serving you and uh, serving the kingdom and serving the church at Han Terrace Baptist Church. I want to pray for Chet's heart, Lord, that you would guard him from um, what a, just a really strange season where it, it's impossible to please everybody. Uh, just a very unusual season. Um, where people stand in so many different places on um, coronavirus and masks and the difficulty in making decisions, uh, the weight of uh, frustrating folks that are dear. Um, Lord, we just pray that you would guard his heart, that he would serve walking by faith and not by sight, that he would do just the next right thing and that he would do it lovingly and gently uh, that you would surround him with uh, teammates that are encouraging him uh, and praying for him. Lord, I pray that you would guard his heart in Christ Jesus, that first and foremost, more than anything, he, as he's about the work of shepherding people, that you would bless him as a worshiper, as a son of the high king of heaven, and that that would have an overflow onto the people of God at Highland Terrace Baptist Church. We lift up Highland Terrace, Lord. We thank you so much for the many years of ministry 
that you've had to this community through Holland Terrace. Uh, Lord, we pray for future uh, wonderful years to come, entrusting them to you this morning and cheering for them for your name's sake. Lord, also we want to pray for a people group, for the Kermi people of India. Lord, we are thankful that we don't have to um, hope for the best or we don't have to live by karma, uh, but that we can trust in the person and work of Christ and by our union with him by faith that we will know you and spend eternity with you. Lord, we are thankful for that wonderful good news and we pray for that good news to find a home in this people group somehow, some way. Lord, we pray that you'll stir people to be too uncomfortable staying. Uh, they'll have to go and share and live and be and worship out loud in a context that doesn't know you. Lord, we pray that you will couple that with people that um, have dreams and visions, wanting to know who their creator is, uh, dissatisfied with karma, uh, and looking for uh, some answers, Lord, that you will couple the sender with the searcher and uh, that you will plant and grow a church among this people group. Lord, we ask you to draw this people group to your name so that Christ can return. Lord, lastly, this morning, we want to just pray for these few minutes that we spend together. Lord, we want to entrust them to you. Pray that you would guard my heart from uh, wanting to uh, push uh, forward or press on at a pace uh, that we, um, that's too fast for us. I pray that we can just sit this morning and savor sitting in a wonderful sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. Lord, we are entrusting this time to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Stand, if you would, for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Lord, speak to us through these good words. Equip us, stir us, mobilize us, um, prepare us for glory, uh, starting right here, right now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a seat. A couple things come out of this passage that are very clear from the outset, at least uh, the, uh, the, what's being communicated, maybe not the tone there are two things that are communicated in these passages. One, the first is in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. That is in the imperative tense. That is a, a command. It's an urgent, urgent command. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. The second command is in verse 20. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Don't lay up is the first command. A warning, you could say. And then the command is in verse 20. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You're bound to have seen this coming. You know, if Jesus is going to be talking about what it means to follow him, you're bound to expect that at some point he's going to start talking about stuff. Right? I mean, I think everybody in here would expect that. You know, the notion of dealing with stuff is not a Christian notion alone. It's not even a Hebrew notion alone. It is universal. Pretty much worldwide religions universal are saying, don't trust in stuff. You came into the world naked and you will leave naked without, well, at least without all your stuff. 
that encouragement, I think, is something that should be familiar to us. It's something we probably uh, were expecting in the Sermon on the Mount at some point. I'm hoping, though, in the next few minutes, though, that you, uh, that I might be able to ask you to tap the brakes on the stuff sermon just yet. Because I don't think these passages are about material stuff. These few verses, verses 19 through 21, I think are getting at something that we value even more than stuff. I need to do some groundwork to sort of help us get there, sort of excavate. So let me kind of give you a little bird's eye view of the Sermon on the Mount and then where this fits in in the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount begins with an introduction. It's called the Beatitudes. We spend, I don't know how many Sundays in the Beatitudes, sort of unpacking what these mean, sort of the tenor and the tone of what it means to follow Christ with promises of a good life. Promises of a good life. People were filling this mount 2,000 years ago looking for answers to find the good life. I expect that this room is full of people that want to find the good life too. So it's a great place to be in the Sermon on the Mount. It began with an introduction on the good life and the Beatitudes. It went from there to teaching on, speaking about really the purpose of those who are following Christ is to be salt and light and to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees. It may not sound shocking to us just yet, but 2,000 years ago, that would have been a shocking notion. A righteousness that exceeds the most religious, most committed people in their context, Pharisees, they would have had their attention at that point. He went from there to dealing with sort of some micro-sermons on exceeding righteousness. The headings there can give us a little bit of a guide. Uh, The first one um, is on anger. And each of these little micro-sermons started with, you have heard it said, but I say this. And then here's what application looks like. You've heard it said this, familiar teachings from the law, but I say this. And then here's what it looks like. A little micro-sermon starting with anger and then lust. You can look at the headings right there in your Bible. Divorce, oaths, retaliation, and loving your enemies. And then in chapter 6, he starts a new section. Okay? In chapter 6, starting in verse 1, he starts a new section. It's one that we've been in for the last few months. I'm going to read verse 1 because it's kind of the introduction to this section in chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. The thing I want to draw out there are the two words, practicing righteousness. Starting in chapter 1, verse 6, all the way through verse 18, which is very clear to us, he's been dealing with righteous practices and how not to do them. There are three of them. The first of those three had to do with uh, giving to the needy in verses 2 through 4. The second of those had to do with prayer in verses 5 through 8. The third of those righteous practices had to do with fasting, what we considered last week, in verses 16 through 18. So we've got an intro I just read in verse 1. Beware of doing these things for the purpose of being seen, for you will not How does the passage say? There will be no reward from your Father who is in heaven. That's the introduction. And then the content in his teaching are those three righteous practices or how not to do them. This passage is aching for a conclusion. Some of y'all may have paid attention in in English class. I actually paid attention at times. You know, I had teachers that 
different points in my growing up that I really learned a lot from. And one of them, I remember a keyhole uh, essay guide. So anybody remember a keyhole uh, essay? You know, it's shaped like a key, like a, the hole, or not like a key, but a keyhole. Yeah, that's why they call it a keyhole essay. But at the top, you've got the introduction, and then the, the, where the circle is in the shape of a keyhole, you've got the three points, and then at the bottom part of the keyhole, you've got the conclusion. This section is like a keyhole essay, and it's aching for a conclusion. And I want to just encourage you to consider that these verses that we started with this morning, verses 19 through 21, are that conclusion. They are the bottom part of that keyhole. They are conclusion to the previous section on practicing righteousness and how, um, um, and not really about stuff so much just yet. Okay, we're getting to stuff. You expected it and you expected it rightly, but not just yet. At least at this point, it looks like he may be dealing with something that we treasure more than stuff. Okay. Now, the plain teaching from this passage, beginning in chapter 6, verse 1, all the way through 18, is how not to practice these righteous practices, how not to go about those things. You don't do those things for the praise of man. He draws out some, some things in each of these passages. Consider this in verse 2, dealing with first with giving to the needy. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet. You know what that looks like. Yeah, I don't mean it to my own horn, but do 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 Look at me, I'm giving to the needy, y'all. <laughs> Look at how, how uh, sacrificial I am. Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Here's the next one in verse 5 dealing with prayer. When you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And here's the third in verse 16. And when you fast, it's dealing with the third righteous practice. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. In each of these cases, when you give to the needy so that you may be praised by others, or when you pray publicly so that you may be seen by others, or when you fast gloomily, and I don't know if that's a word or not, but we'll say we'll play like it is, so that your fasting may be seen by others, you've received your reward. And that reward is the praise of man. Okay? The praise of man. Something else is kind of a side note I want to draw out here that's really kind of, um, kind of important. It's not so much a side note. Did you notice how many times the word when is used in those passages? When you pray, when you give to the needy, when you fast, Jesus is approaching these matters like he's assuming followers of Christ do those things. Those righteous practices are assumed so he can go right to the problem of how not to do them and notice how he defines hypocrisy as well how do we define hypocrisy hypocrisy that you know the person that says one thing but then behind closed doors they do something totally different that is a version of hypocrisy that's not how he's defining hypocrisy here 
He's defining hypocrisy here as doing the right things for the wrong reasons. That makes the whole definition a little more comfortable or uncomfortable for me. Anybody else? Doing the right things, giving to the needy, praying and fasting, but for the wrong reasons and with the wrong motives. That gets a little bit uncomfortable. That's how he defines hypocrisy here in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, in each of these cases, when someone does the right thing, giving to the needy, praying or fasting for the praise of man, I want you to see this, they've missed their reward from their father. Not only have they received their earthly reward, the praise of man, they've missed the reward from the father. In verse 4, it's brought out. Your giving may be seen in, may, may be in secret. Your, your father who sees in secret will reward you. These promises that if these things, righteous things are done rightly, they come with promises of reward from the Father. In verse 6, your Father who sees in secret will reward you with secret or for secret prayer. And then the last one in verse 18, dealing with fasting. Your Father who sees you fasting secretly with face washed and eyes bright will reward you. Don't miss the reward language in these passages. There's a terrible consequence of getting earthly reward, but the worst consequence is missing out on reward from the Father. Now, I have what I've kind of created as an abridged version of this whole passage. Okay, it's sort of abridged, sort of condensed, and I'm going to read it so you can all hear it all in one uh, sort of paragraph. So one thought. Okay, so just listen to this passage abridged a little bit with our conclusion as part of it. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, the things I want you to see in those passages and sort of that abridged version is three different righteous practices. Giving to the needy, praying, and fasting. All assumed. He's assuming followers of Christ do these things. And all easily done wrongly. Okay, all of them easily done for the wrong reasons. But also what comes out of that is two kinds of reward. One earthly and one heavenly. One earthly and one heavenly. Now let me read the conclusion. Now that we've sort of gathered all this up and excavated it a little bit. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me kind of line up these, this language for you. The language that lines up is earthly reward, man's praise, and treasures on earth. Earthly reward, man's praise, and earthly treasures. Those things go together in this keyhole essay. On the other side, the reward from your father lines up with treasures in heaven. This passage is not so much about stuff that's coming. This passage is about something that we treasure and cherish more than stuff. All right, so let's get into it. Let's see what we can draw out of this. There's another little clue, a little side clue in verse 16 where it's talking about the the fasting. It says, don't disfigure your faces. That word disfigure, that Greek word, the original Greek word, that's the exact same word that's used later for what rust and moth do to your earthly treasures. They destroy Disfigure and destroy are the same Greek words. So in some ways, it's like Jesus saying, speaking of disfigured faces, let me talk a little bit about disfigured treasures. Another little clue that this is one big line of reasoning. So now that we sort of excavated that, let's get back to the warning and the command. Dealing first with the warning in verse 19. I'll reread it so it's fresh. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. We've just established that this is one big thought. Those treasures he's speaking of is man's praise. The earthly reward. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. He deals very honestly, people of God, with the fact that we consider man's praise treasure. And Jesus knows what's in the heart of a man, and he goes right to it right here. He calls it treasure because we, let's be really honest, we treasure man's praise. Man, hopefully we've got a room full of really honest people and a bunch of honest people online right now that can deal with that reality. We treasure man's praise, and he calls that earthly reward treasure, I mean, surgically. He nails it. What a great word. Who doesn't love it? Who doesn't love praise? Man, who doesn't love to be thought well of? Who doesn't love to be commended? Who doesn't love all the things that go with man's praise? It is gratifying. Let's be really honest. Man, all of us soak in that. All of us love that sort of praise to be well thought of who doesn't want that to be liked who doesn't want that to be attractive in looks or personality or even both who doesn't want that who doesn't want to be appreciated as a person and to be well thought of in some measure every person in this room is a glory junkie we love man's praise facebook and instagram unapologetically scratch the itch of look at me and look how awesome i am this isn't an attack on facebook (laughs) okay or an instagram 
all the posts and all the people don't handle it that way. But let's be really honest. Don't most of them say, look at me and look how awesome I am. We are glory junkies. Who doesn't love the praise of man? I thought for a moment, I thought, you know, there might be some people here this morning and there might be some people that I'm not really kind of knowing very, that I don't, I don't know very well that might sort of sit at the margins and the fringes of society and like, not me. You're talking about being a glory junkie. I have no use for glory. I don't want praise from man. I don't want to be well thought of. I don't want any of those things. And I can think back to the time in my life where I was, man, I was squarely in the fringes. My high school years were the worst years of my life. <laughs> Anybody else? I, some people, they look back fondly on their high school years. They were the worst years of my life. I was overweight by about 70 or 80 pounds. I stuttered so bad I could not get a sentence out. Okay, that's like wearing a bullseye, right, to school every single day, right? I was officially on the fringes. I was officially in the margins. And I remember when the, I went to a, a high school, Alexandria Senior High, you know, the acronym there is ASH. Okay, we were the ASH Trojans, okay? And, man, I remember when Mr. and, and Miss ASH were chosen, you know, my senior year, I mean, here I am squarely on the fringes, and I'm secretly hoping for a Cinderella story. <laughs> I've never confessed that. I'm sharing it publicly. I've never told anyone that. I'm secretly hoping that maybe they'll dig deep. <laughs> maybe they'll reach out there and grab that guy on the fringes. Maybe Ben McGraw will be Mr. Ash. I mean, did anybody not have moments like that? I mean, maybe you were all Mr. and Mrs. Ash or Miss Ash right off the bat. You didn't have to deal with being on the fringes. But I think everybody in the fringes and in the middle, everybody loves the praise of man. Man, we're junkies. The praise of man is not a new thing either. It's not modern. found a few passages, and this, there are many, many passages that speak to the praise of man versus God's pleasure. Here's one from John chapter 12, verse 42. It says, many even of the authorities believed in Christ, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So they would not, so they would not be put out of the synagogue for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Man, honest brokers. Our word is honest, isn't it? Paul in Galatians chapter 1 verse 10 he says for I'm not now for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God he's rebuking the Galatians for being bewitched or am I trying to please man if I were still trying to please man I would not be a servant of Christ honest isn't he man he was a Jew among Jews and he's confessing there I used to try and please man and he's calling it out. I'm not going to refuse as a follower of Christ. That's not my reward anymore. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4 says, But just as we have approved, been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. Man, the fear of man. The desire to be well thought of, the desire to be liked, the great reward of man's praise, that is not a new thing, and it is a real thing. We want man's approval and praise because at some measure, we're junkies. We love 
We love it more than stuff, I think. We love it more than stuff. He rightly calls it treasure. But he also points out we're not to lay up that treasure. That's not who we are as followers of Christ. We are not to lay up that treasure. It is the wrong reward. He points out how frail and fragile that treasure is. He says, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, that earthly treasure is subject to, in this case, moth and rust and thieves. Christy and I have been married a year. This is 1996. The Olympics came to the U.S., the Summer Olympics. Summer Olympics are a lifelong dream for Christy to see in person. So we actually coughed up the money to go see some of the Olympics in Atlanta. We went to the track and field event. We saw Michael Johnson throw his gold shoes into the stands. Like in the flesh, we were there when he did it. It's awesome. We saw Carl Lewis do the triple jump or long jump or something and win the gold medal. It was amazing. But that was the day after someone set off some pipe bombs at the Atlanta Olympics. It was 1996. There was a man that at least for a moment, just for about 15 minutes, was a hero. His name was Richard Jewell. Richard Jewell has become a household name, at least for people my age, of a guy that was ruined. Moth and rust and theft. In this case, it was theft. His reputation, he actually was the hero of the moment, identifying the pipe bombs. He got people away from this trash can. The bombs went off, and from what I recall, one person died. What could have been hundreds of people died. The guy actually was a hero, and he was acknowledged as a hero initially until the FBI thought, no, nah, I think maybe he did this. And then he entered into the court of the media and the court of public opinion, and the guy was ruined. Later on, a guy named Eric Rudolph confessed to the whole thing. But Richard Jewell was ruined from hero to villain to back to some sort of salvaged hero until he died, I guess, a few years ago. This guy was a household name and living proof that what people think of you is fragile and frail and feeble and it's not a good place to bank your money. You can be ruined in a moment. Ask Job, a man that was blameless, a man that followed God, a man that made sacrifices not only for himself but on behalf of his family. Through a series of catastrophes, all outside of his own power, none of them his own doing, he became a dirty name among his friends. His own family wouldn't even speak to him. His own servants wouldn't even speak to him. And your name and what people think of you is frail and fragile and thin. And it's not a good place to bank your treasure. This earthly treasure that we so highly value can be destroyed by a moth like your favorite sweater being quietly eaten between winters in the closet. You're not even aware of it. Your name and what people think of you can be destroyed like rust. The thing that you think is iron is being eaten away by this orange creep 
through exposure, through some sort of circumstance that you may not even see it, or by theft, your name is frail and fragile and can be ruined in a moment. Your name can be mud overnight because your name can be stolen by someone actively going out of their way to ruin your name and reputation. It can happen to any single person in this room. It can happen to a couple that are going through a divorce. It can happen to a family that's associated with something. It can happen to a police department that actually hired a guy that made a really bad, murderous decision a week ago. I bet there's some policemen in Wolf City that want to do a good job that before a week ago may have had a good reputation, but now their name is Mud. Anybody related to Sean Lucas, their name is Mud. It's not a good place to bank on. It's not a good reward of what people think of you. I don't know why the fear of man. I don't know why the praise and the applause of man, the recognition and the approval of man is so valuable to us because it's flimsy and it's fragile because people are fickle. They always have been. It's not a good place to invest. So do not lay up treasures of man's praise on earth. It's plastic reward. You turn it over, it says made in China on the bottom. It's cheap. It's not genuine. It's not the real thing. It is sure to be disappointing. On the other hand, there's a command here of where to lay up your treasure, and it's a good, strong command. What's better than pursuing the earthly treasures of man's praise? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. What's better than pursuing earthly treasure for man, of man's praise and that flimsy reward? It comes from the flip side of this passage, beginning in chapter 6, verse 1. If you took that whole passage, chapter 6, verse 1, and flipped it over, the passage is clearly about how not to do these things and how not to do these things so you don't miss out on the Father's reward. Flip it over and consider then how should we do these things? Or first of all, should we do these things? Absolutely, they're assumed. But how should we do these things? In the pursuit of heavenly treasure, treasure from our Father, in the pursuit of heavenly treasure, in righteous practices done rightly. Can we flip this passage over and say, all right, we want to go after the reward from the Father then. How do we go about that? Giving to the needy without fanfare. Giving to the needy without anybody knowing about it. Praying secretly for the purpose of connecting with a good God that hears. Man, can we start with simple things like that? And how about fasting with faces washed and bright eyes in pursuit of the person of Christ? Let me tell you something right now, people of God. I feel like I'm on dangerous ground right here. I feel like I'm on dangerous ground, and I'm going to confess to you why. Because we are so prone to mishandling even good things. Man, we've proven it or and or. We, I don't mean just cross, I mean humankind. I mean even followers of Christ. We are prone to mishandling even good things 
A room full of Protestants ought to be able to connect to that reality. We are prone to mishandling even good things. But I think I've realized in considering these righteous practices right here in the middle of a sermon on how to find the good life that I am so fearful of doing these things wrongly, I either may not even do them or I may not give the oomph and the power and the support to them that I should in this pulpit. So this is the day to respond to the preaching of God's word starting right here. Jesus himself is really, really firm about the content of this Sermon on the Mount. Just the chapter before, he said, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. I don't want that. And I don't want that for you. And whoever does them, though, and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Man, that's where I want us to land as the people of God. I want to give the weight to these righteous practices that they are due. Whoever relaxes and teaches others to relax these things is considered the least. Whoever gives them, though, the potent place that they deserve and teaches them even is called the greatest. And I think we're moving forward, albeit in something that's a little frightening for me. I think we're moving forward in something that is worthy to consider. I'm hoping I can bring full weight to what's being commanded here in lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven by practicing righteousness rightly. The solution, the remedy to not practicing righteousness wrongly is not to not do it at all. It's not to not do it at all. The remedy is to do what he's saying here, laying up treasure by doing righteous practices rightly. Therein, he promises three times or, there is great reward. Now, I don't have a lot of insight into what that reward looks like. You know, we've joked about it over the years, family members and friends. And, uh, you're going to get jewels in your crown for doing that thing that you're doing right there. You're going to get mansions in heaven. You know, you're going to be in a nicer mansion than you would have been had you not done it. I mean, have you ever been part of that kind of conversation? I don't, I don't know what this actually, I haven't, this isn't a reward theology sermon. I'm just seeing the promises that he's clearly making here. And I want to point you to, to, a, to just a couple of obvious rewards in practicing righteous practices rightly. Here's the only place I'm going to have you turn for the rest of the morning. In Matthew chapter 25, just flip over a few chapters from Matthew chapter 6 to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to deal with the first of the three, giving to the needy. He's commanding us to lay up, for tre lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven. And what seems to be implied here by doing righteous practices rightly, this is a great place to go, Matthew chapter 25. Dealing with judgment, the final judgment, something every person in this room will face. Okay, I'm just going to just stop for a minute, just so we kind of have our footing here. Everybody have Matthew 25 in front of them. Okay, I promised that in prayer, I asked in prayer, I wouldn't rush. I don't want to rush this. Okay, Matthew chapter 25, dealing with the eternal or the final judgment. Okay, let's go to this passage. 
When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For when I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you and naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. So can we talk about heavenly treasure right now in doing righteous deeds rightly and at least just deal with this beautiful example right here, the heavenly reward, the reward that is not perishable, the reward that is not subject to rust, moth, or theft is that you find Christ in those places. When you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. I was there in that moment. You found me in that moment. Unbeknownst to you, I was there. Can we start with just the simple righteous deed done rightly of giving to those who have need and enjoy together the reward? Is that where you find Jesus? He promises it. Notice, too, that this judgment, he doesn't pass out scantrons. Y'all know what scantrons are? Am I dating myself? You still use those in school? <laughs> he doesn't pass out a scantron and say, define propitiation. Ah, wrong, you're hellbound. Oh, good answer. Come on in. Enter into my your great reward. You got propitiation right. It's not a scantron. It's I mean, you gave me food when I was hungry. Can we start with just simple righteous practices done rightly? And consider that beautiful reward that we find Jesus in that moment. Man, that's worthy reward. That's durable. Right? That's not flimsy. That's durable. How about prayer? This is where God the Son went to experience God the Father. In prayer. Something so simple. Something so unimpressive. There's no, you know, cheerleaders or bands out there behind him when he's praying. He's just off in secret, just praying and enjoying and fellowshipping with his father. If two persons of the triune God experience one another through prayer, how could we possibly think we would experience him any other way? But there's beautiful reward in that. It's in that quiet place of prayer, a righteous thing done rightly. Not for fanfare, not so, hey, look at me, look at my great words in prayer. Um, midst, it's a common prayer word. Doth, maybe that, I haven't used that one in a while. Amongst, it's another one. Midst, that's just a good one. Man, that's where you find fellowship with the Father. God the Son did it. Man, that's a durable reward. I, I love that reward. The time that I spend with my family in prayer 
it's not a time. We've had periods over our story as a family that it's been nightly. And then now it's kind of periodic. But it's always treasured. One of the things I'm treasuring most right now in walking with our elders is that we spend the first half of our elder meeting in prayer. And we get to the business if we get to it. You know what's crazy is he, like he stretches the rest of the time, so we're still able to do all the other, other stuff. But we spend time together with communing with the Father. It's durable, durable reward. <laughs> Wednesday mornings, I gather with men at 6.30 over there in the conference room. And it's durable, isn't it, Morris? It's durable. It's durable. You don't walk out of there saying, man, everybody's thinking a lot of me. Look at me. <laughs> I hope some people saw my car parked up here, <laughs> spending time in prayer. That's not, that's not what it's about. It's early enough where people don't know about it or even care. You're just up there to commune and fellowship with God. And there's a durable reward because he's there. He meets you in that moment. Fasting. John Stott, when he was speaking about the Sermon on the Mount passage, it talks about ask and seek and and knock. Ask, seek, and knock. That passage is later in chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. He describes that, believes that that is progressively escalating and progressively urgent pursuits of Christ. Someone who was commenting on John Stott's comment, which is kind of piggybacking these other comments, is just so good. He said, in that case, then fasting would be banging on the gates of heaven to get to God. And there's beautiful promises in all this. When you ask, you're given. When you seek, you find. When you knock, it will be open to you. That's durable reward. Man. Can we do these things rightly? Can we do them not earning our salvation or contributing to our salvation and not contaminating this, the, the beauty of the gospel at all, but in response to the gospel and do them rightly because of who we are? Can we celebrate together what God might do in that and actually raising up a salty, bright, aromatic, exceeding righteousness people in a dark context? Man, can we celebrate together what God might do with the people that are just practicing righteousness rightly? Man, that's exciting to think about. Greg Fields shared something last Sunday afternoon. We were talking through our Vine project that we're, our leadership is working through right now. And he used the example that you don't learn golfing by watching videos or reading a book. You don't go to lectures to learn how to golf. You learn how to golf by getting out there on the green with the things. (laughs) I'm such an experienced golfer. How you think you hold it like that or something? Yeah. You got to do it. Y'all know faith is not an academic venture, right? Okay, when you come to Sundays and you sit in a worship service, That's not only your faith event. That's not the sum and total of it. Block checked till next Sunday. See you then. 
You're being equipped and stirred to then go do and be and walk out this thing, to play golf. Man, how exciting to think about playing golf could be as simple as giving to those who have need in Christ's name and looking for Christ in that. Praying, spending time with him, meaningful prayer, committing to weekly gathering with people that are seeking him, not just chatting only, and then praying for about 30 seconds at the end, but spending intentional time together seeking his face. Man, do you think that he could bless you in that and that that faith could be exercised? It's not an academic venture. It moves, it gives, it prays, it seeks, it knocks, it bangs on the gates of heaven. The judgment window in Matthew isn't about an academic test. It's an account of moving faith. Righteous practices done with right motives in response to the gospel, in response to who you are, in following Christ and in seeking and finding him. So here's the conclusion. One thought is simply this. Actively lay up treasures in heaven. It's a commandment. Like, actively do it. I mean, here's some really... If you might be saying, I just don't know where to begin. Here's some options. Fish Ministries. Adam Bean sitting on the back row right there. Community Seeds. Cross Points partnering with Community Seeds. Giving out food every Friday from 4 to 6 p.m. at Highland Terrace Baptist Church. There are real hungry people that go through there. Their cars are like, I can't believe that thing's actually... First of all, how did you get it registered and inspected? But they're like, I'm picking up food for four families, loading it up. Real hungry people right here, right now in our context. Meals on wheels. You talk to Tracy Fields. Those meals are delivered on Wednesdays. That's real need. Seniors, mostly. What a ministry we have to seniors right now. If, if we want to protect them from getting sick, they're the most vulnerable. Then, man, active pursuit of getting them what they need. Like, I just don't have time for that. Well, make time. Make time. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And where your heart is, your treasure will be. You make time for it. You make time for recreation. You make time for rest. I'm not discouraging any of those things. But make time to lay up treasure in heaven. Make time for it. Ah, four to six is, I, I don't get off till 4.30. Well, get off early. Go in early. You go in early so you could do something later with your family, and that's awesome. Create space and make time for practice, or practice or righteous practices done rightly. Uh, if you want to be, here's some other options. You want to be part of benevolence ministry. Trevor Goodman, um, Terry Sadler, and Robert Bledsoe are in charge of our benevolence ministry. And oftentimes we have people that come to the church with needs, like real physical needs. And you can connect them and say, man, I want to know when you have stuff like that because I want to be part of the solution. Righteous practices done rightly. In regards to prayer, find a group of folks and pray with them regularly. If you're a man, I want to invite you. Make a 
you know, shoot for Wednesday mornings if you can. 6.30, it's in the conference room. And we'll spill out into other rooms if we have more people. It's sweet. It really is sweet. 6.30 may not work for you. We're starting another one in the evenings. Bill Ruth is starting one with Dan Kelso, and I think y'all are landing on Wednesday night. Dan's shaking his head. So there's some other options. There are other groups of people that meet and pray. Ladies, I'm sure that there's some of that going on. If you're not part of that, find a way to connect in life group or something. Can we pray together weekly? There are other groups of people that pray on Friday mornings. Morris Bean and some other guys pray on Friday mornings. Jay, uh, I mean, get connected to a group of people that are going to miss you if you're not there and spend time in prayer. It's not sexy. Sorry. (laughs) Simple, but it's so beautiful, so rich. Incorporate secret fasting into your pursuit of Christ. Man, that's a muscle that's atrophied or never been developed on me, but one that I'm learning the beauty of. Incorporate secret fasting into your pursuit of Christ for no other reason than to bang on the gates of heaven in search of him. Man, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Let's pray. God, what a simple, simple truth you've put in front of us this morning through our Lord. I'm so thankful that he taught so clearly in the Sermon on the Mount. Lord, I'm so thankful that he shows us what these righteous practices look like done rightly in his very own life. Lord, we are thankful that he has, through our union with him and through the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, he has given us the ability to follow Christ in these ways. Lord, I pray that this morning would be stirring for the people of God, galvanizing, encouraging, convicting, affirming, all of the above in this very room. Mobilize this people for your glory, Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our supper this morning comes from Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I hope you heard a thread in this sermon that there's not just a bunch of to-dos. It's not a to-do list. The sermon was about being and identity. It's about who you are. It's about what the people of God do. And all of that is never assuming. It's never assuming where we go in the supper. We, on purpose, week after week, make the beeline back to this. This is all because of the person and work of Christ. And if it's to be fruitful at all, it's going to be moored to, connected to, tethered to, bound to, adhered to, all the synonyms I can think of, to the person and work of Christ. And he is our treasure. He's not only the preacher of the Sermon on the Mount, he's the subject of the Sermon on the Mount. And he's the means by which we walk out the Sermon on the Mount. And he's the nourishment that we take in while we go about those things. So let's take and eat and enjoy him in faith.
enjoying his sacrifice, counting it sufficient. Let's take and drink in faith. Let's pray. Lord, we count Christ's work sufficient. We count it life-giving and life-altering. We count it mobilizing and stirring. We count it guiding. We count it enough. And we are so thankful. We pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen.
We're so thankful to be here with you this morning, and let's continue in song.
Father, you are so good. And God, we just submit to you right now that we are so needy. God, that um, we so often run from you and we try to fill ourselves with other things, Lord. And God, we just, we just confess that. Um, Lord, I just pray that, that um, this word that we've been given today would just become a part of who we are, Lord. That your Holy Spirit would just teach us what it means to, uh, to practice righteous acts rightly. Um, Lord, that you would just guide us. God, we need you so much. And um, I just pray that you would just guide us along, that you would just empower us and enable us in the way that only you can to do what you would ask us to do. And Lord, we love you, and um, we just love you. We ask these things in your precious and holy and loving name. Amen. Y'all have a seat just for a moment. There's a passage that, that stuck with me just like for a couple weeks, and it's just so simple. But I just never really, I guess, noticed this in Acts chapter 10. This is not the benediction, by the way. There's just a little encouragement. Um, the, Peter is preaching the good news to the Gentiles, and it's sort of a little micro-sermon here. And um, he, he says in verse 38 of Acts chapter 10, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He went about doing good, which is a phrase that just sort of stuck out to me. Is You know, we don't have to overcomplicate this. I mean, it's in response to who Christ is and what he's done for us in our union with Christ by faith. Why wouldn't we want to go about doing good? We're not, I mean, we can do that rightly. It's not adding one iota to our salvation. It's because of who we are. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that beautiful verses 1 through 10 that tell the story of your dead and your trespasses and sins. God made you alive together with Christ. He's raised you. He's seated you. You know, all these beautiful truths that come out of chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. And then chapter 10 says, he's made you for good works to go walk in them. Because of who you are and what, what he's done in your life, to go walk them out, to be salty, bright, and aromatic. We have a wonderful opportunity in a very dark season in this world right now. Man, let's not squander it by just being in the receive mode. Somebody come tend to me. Man, how about actually tending to some folks? And how about praying? How about fasting and hungering for Christ? Just some simple things done rightly. In Christ's name. I just want to encourage you in that. I, I don't know if you noticed, but the, some of the people that I named and connected in some of our ministries, that's not even all of them. Crosspoint has a, it's like a melting pot for ministries. Adam Bean is connected to Fish. Uh, we've got Theresa Sadler connected to Rafa. Tracy is making connections with uh, Meals on Wheels. Uh, Becca is, is with the connection. Um, we've got uh, Ginevra with Bowles Home. You know, the, this room is being filled with a bunch of young people from Bowles Home on Wednesday nights right now. We have ministry connections all in this church. And if you're not serving somewhere and you would like to, man, all you got to do is like turn around, okay, who, who, do I, who do I ask, who do I connect to? Where can I go about and do some good? And who can I be praying for if you want to join in prayer? Are there things going on that you can be part of? I, I don't think it's a, 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 a happenstance that these teachings are right in the middle of a sermon on the good life. I don't think he's going to let you get away with finding, truly finding the good life, shalom, wholeness, fullness, peace, meaning. 
apart from the things that were good enough for the saints 2,000 years ago. They're simple. They're not sexy, but they're sweet. I'll stand and we'll have our benediction together. Benediction from Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Y'all have a wonderful day.